Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. I uh, thought we'd spend a little time talking about Ukraine, not the Ukraine, but we're going to talk about Ukraine. <laughs> I guess uh, some of the media. They prefer without the article. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so not Russian or, or Ukrainian. But uh, we're probably not going to focus on what most people think uh, is the top news. We're going to focus in on the uh, the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Wh- when did this all start, Jim? Five years ago, 2014, Russia grabbed Crimea with a special operations, you know, uh, scan. Uh, Russia always wanted Ukraine back. Uh, they believed, with some justification, uh, but they agreed to let it go. Uh, Khrushchev gave uh, Ukra- uh, Crimea to Ukraine. Well, he was Ukrainian for one thing, but that's another matter. Uh uh, simply as a, you know, as a, how should I put it, you know, a, a attaboy, you know, a, a gift, as it were. It, it simplified things because it was an extension of, you know, the Ukrainian Republic, as they called it then and now. And uh, the Russians felt that they were being cheated, you know, and you, and then, uh, you know, Putin started this whole, you know, let's rebuild the empire. Well, he never said it like that, but that's what he's basically uh, looking for, and he declared all the former states, all the former parts of the Soviet Union, to be the near abroad, uh, and under the Russian sphere of influence, uh, and uh, they disagreed, so he's had a hard time. Uh, in the east, in the central in the Central Asia, where you have the five stands, the five uh, new states created out of uh, Russian Central Asia, uh, they are leaning more towards China because they have mixed feelings about that. Because uh, you know, it's it's you know, what do we do? Business or pleasure? Uh, you know, if they go with China, they annoy the Russians, which is always a great you know indoor sport in Central Asia. But China is, looks no different from Russia as far as the imperial ambitions go. Um, but at the moment, you know, even Russia depends on China because Russia's broke. Uh, China's uh, economy is thriving despite, you know, the problems they're having now and will have in the future. Uh, and uh, the Russians are going in the opposite direction. Um, the uh, problem with uh, Zelensky and his predecessor was this whole 2014 uh, campaign against uh, Ukraine by Russia – uh, was in reaction to the uh, the president uh, had be- before uh, the uh, how should I put it the Velvet Revolution, the Orange Revolution, whatever. They uh, there was an uprising in Ukraine and throughout a president who had been elected on the promise that he was going to be hard on Russia and lean towards the West. Well, this president got bribed royally as it were, and uh, that word, the word got out that their men had been bought, and they were, the people of Ukraine were justifiably angry about that. The Russians were, too, because they figured, hey, you bought, you stay bought. Um, and they, they, I guess, accurately realized that they bought the guy, but they didn't buy the country. Uh, 
so their man was out. He's now living in Moscow. And uh, the Russians are trying to get Ukraine back. And they failed at that, much to their chagrin. While they grabbed Ukraine, and we described that in great detail in the strategy page, um, and they're having a hard time holding on to it uh, because the, the Crimeans don't particularly like Russians either. Uh, they quickly realized that the Ukrainians may have been annoying, and et cetera, et cetera, but the Russians are worse. Uh, they invaded the Donbass, which was a, a uh, how should I put it, a historically uh, largely ethnic Russian area. But the majority of the Donbass residents, both Russian speakers and, and Ukrainians, didn't want the Russians in. And the Russian offensive, as it were, they basically organized uh, local rebels who were on their payroll. They sent in Russian soldiers pretending to be Ukrainians, etc., etc. They huffed and they puffed, and the Ukrainians fought them to a standstill, uh, despite the corruption continuing to, you know, uh, weaken Ukraine. And uh, they've basically stalemated there ever since. They've lost, the Ukrainians have lost, well, 10, about 10,000 people have been killed. Most of them civilians, uh, or at least half of them civilians. Uh, 3,000 Ukrainian soldiers have died, 72 or 75 so far this year, uh, even though they've had a, a series of ceasefires you know, for the last few years. But the, the, uh, the Russian forces keep violating them. You know, they keep firing. And there are daily reports on how many times the Russians have fired. They fired the artillery, etc. And, of course, they shot down that uh, Malaysian airliner, which didn't go down well in uh, Europe. The Europeans uh, did a big, in long investigation. They proved conclusively, time and time again, that it was the Ukrainians, the, the Russian rebels, using Russian air defense equipment uh, that shot it down. Because what they did was they did, were able to get fragments of the, uh, of the missile, even though the, uh, the, uh, at first the, uh, the pro-Russian uh, or the Russian you know, subsidized rebels uh, didn't let them in there. But eventually they did because there was a lot of heat coming from the world. And um, <clears throat> they, uh, they basically examined the, uh, the wreckage and they deduced that the missile used was a missile the Ukrainians didn't have. The Ukrainians had that, that air defense system, uh, that surface air missile system, but they didn't have the latest missiles that only the Russians had. So that was pretty much, you know, the, uh, uh, the stake in the heart of the vampire. The Russians keep denying it, but the basic, basic consensus in the rest of the world is it was the Russian guys who were basically allowed to do whatever the hell they wanted. Mainly, they were shooting down uh, Ukrainian transports, and mostly transports, and uh, that's why they fired at the airliner. They thought it was just another Ukrainian trick to, you know, send in supplies or whatever. Um, and um, uh, so the Russians are still taking a lot of heat on that. They cannot afford a war in the Ukraine because they have the war in Syria. Uh, as we again, we've described this in great detail regularly in strategy page. They don't have the money. For example, in, uh, in in Syria, they had smart bombs. You always knew they had smart bombs. They didn't realize how small their arsenal was. I mean, it was pitiful. Uh, they ran out like in a month, and they had to start using uh, you know dumb bombs. You know, fortunately, nobody was firing back on the ground, or at least not much. And they did have a new uh, you know uh, fire control system for manual bombing, which we have. Most Western countries, East, you know, Western countries have the same thing, but they don't have to use it much anymore because we have plenty of smart bombs. Uh, but they had to use it. 
And uh, so it was no big deal, but it was a big scandal. It was not a big scandal, but it was somewhat shocking to a lot of people that Russia had these, you know, these Western-style weapons, but they simply couldn't afford to have enough of them to fight a sustained, you know, battle. The Chinese took note of that as well, because the Chinese also have smart bombs, and they have a lot of them. Uh, and that, the Russians are aware of that. So the Russians are basically caught in a web of their own devising, and they're trying to find a way out. They did put a lot of troops, a lot more troops on the Ukrainian border, but as we described in, in strategy page, you know, we keep a close track of what's going on in, in the Russian army. Um, they have, they're still highly dependent on conscripts who don't want to be there. They have this enormous uh, draft dodging rate, which they, they really are afraid to crack down on because they still have a, a quasi-democracy. I mean, they cannot ignore the will of the people, shall we say, uh, as much as the Soviets did. And of course, they, the Russians, especially Putin, realized that if you push the people, no matter how much you have them under control in a police state, they will eventually bring you down. So the Russians are also, you know, looking over the shoulders of the history and trying not to repeat what happened to the Soviet Union. So that gives the Ukrainians hope. The biggest thing the Ukrainians have going for them, or going against them, was they still have the corruption. Their armed forces could be in a lot better shape. Uh, but they want to, um, they basically have to stop the, the, uh, the hemorrhaging of all the money that's being lost because of the insider dealing, the outright theft, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for example, what Trump was uh, going on about with Biden, uh, Biden had boasted, I mean, we have this on record, that he got a Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating corruption uh, to back off. Now, this was after they removed, the Ukrainians removed the pro-Russian guy. They got a, new, a bunch of new people in, but they were still corrupt. Not as corrupt as before, but you get the picture. Zelensky got elected uh, on, a, on, the, on the platform that, hey, I'm not a professional politician. And, hey, you've seen me in the TV show I produce and star in where um, a comic gets accidentally elected president. Sound familiar? Anyway, uh, so he and, he and, I mean, and uh, Trump have a lot in common, so to speak, in terms of what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. So in that uh, phone call transcript, when Trump is talking about, you know, taking care of the corruption. He's basically saying the same thing the United States has been saying since uh, 2014, except before he got elected, uh, we were saying it with our fingers crossed behind our backs. We didn't really mean it, because Biden then could basically say, hey, I got the Russians to back off on a, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, Ukrainian to back off on this, uh, uh, this corruption investigation, which he, wouldn't, he didn't say that it was closing in on his son. Um, but that was basically what it came down to. Uh, the Democrats now consider that a uh, impeachable offense, and I think that's all going to blow up in their faces. And I think Trump knew this. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other problem is, uh, you know, making public the transcript of a, a confidential conversation with a foreign leader is a huge breach in international protocol. Uh, and, you know, you do that and you make it not only difficult for the current president of the United States to conduct, you know, uh, conversations over the phone with foreign leaders, but you do it for all future presidents. Who's going to believe the United States? That's why everybody's dancing around, you know, exactly how they got this transcript. They went through all the fall of all. 
and uh, and you're going to see some you know backtracking on that. So, well, we didn't really mean to you know basically violate uh, the the uh, how should I put it the constitutional right of the president to conduct you know conversations with foreign leaders uh, in pursuit of the you know foreign policy of the United States, which belongs to the White House. Um, but that aside, the current situation is Zelensky. No matter what our Congress says, is going to pursue the corruption. Now, the problem is, as he pointed out when he got elected, when he took power earlier this year, was that he's basically not that experienced. He admits it, but he says he knows how to hire smart people. Now, he already had lined up people who were basically uh, generally accepted, shall we say, to be clean and competent, and he's putting them in charge. But he really can't clean the stable all at once. And the Biden investigation, or the investigation that involved, you know, Biden's son, uh, is basically far down on the list. You know, he's got to go after things which are more important to Ukrainians. You can't blame him for that. But you can't blame Trump for saying, you know, uh, whatever, you know, he was implying or whatever. He wanted that thing not to be forgotten uh, because, you know, he wants to basically make it clear to American politicians, uh, present or future, that you do not want to basically say one thing about cracking down on corruption in foreign countries and then doing something else, you know, uh, offline, as it were. Uh, that is not anything new. I mean, that's been the, basically the foreign policy of the United States for decades. We've poured billions of dollars into foreign countries, which are totally corrupt. And and I found this out over the years. Uh, and uh, and I said, well, why do they keep doing it? And of course, the the, the real the real reason is they basically want to have some degree of control, of influence, as it were, in a foreign country. And if it means a lot of the money is going to get stolen, well, that's the price you pay. Now, politicians can't sell that to the general public, uh, but to other you know diplomats and to people in the government, say, well, you know, that's the best we can do. Uh, Trump. Uh, and that's what disturbs, you know, a lot of his Democratic opponents doesn't believe that you have to keep doing things the bad old way. There are better ways to do it. And he's inclined to try and make changes any way he can. And that's what he's doing. And of course, as a lot of people point out, you know, he's basically doing what he's there for. And the Democrats are doing something else. But that's another matter. Zelensky doesn't really have a problem with, with Democrats controlling the parliament. He controls parliament. Uh, but even with that, and even with basically a, a blank check to go after corruption, there's only so much you can do, uh, you know, uh, in the time, you know, he has. So there we go. That's basically the problem with, with Trump and uh, corruption in Ukraine. Austin? Uh, Dan, uh, let me add, pick up on something about the uh, corruption war. You know, normally Jim and I just shoot this off the top of our heads, but I knew that this was gonna, not off the top of our heads, you know, writing <laughs> what we do about, about, uh, uh, troubles, armed conflicts uh, around the world. But I, I pulled up, uh, just before we, uh, started, uh, recording, uh, a, a PDF that I've got on my computer of my book, uh, Cocktails from Hell, and I want to read one section, just one. It's just one paragraph in uh, the uh, Ukrainian strategic uh, assessment. Ukraine's internal corruption war. The Ukrainian government contends the invasion, meaning the Russian invasion of Ukraine, in uh, the late spring of, of, of 2014, 
Actually, it's it's February of 2014 when Russia uh, invades Crimea, but then they start the Donbass war really uh, about a mm, month and a half, two months later. The Ukrainian government contends the invasion prevents it from effectively pursuing economic and political reform. Western creditors disagree. They have been disappointed with Ukraine's efforts to combat corruption. Now, I actually wrote that in, in, in January of, of 2018. And that disappointment, uh, that disappointment was in the Obama administration. It's certainly in uh, the, the Trump administration. Here, the United States has been supporting uh, Ukraine for a number of reasons. For one thing is is that uh, Eastern European American allies, NATO allies, the Baltic states, Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, <laughs> demand the defense of Ukraine because they say it's the defense of their own sovereignty against uh, a reinvigorated Russia. Jim and I will talk a little bit more about that. We, there's some... A uh, little, little debate back and forth, but you know, it's 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 the uh, Empire Strikes Back was a joke that uh, Jim made uh, uh, actually in in the in the 1990s about uh, uh, Russia trying to uh, revive uh, after its uh, severe uh, Cold War uh, loss. But the Ukrainian internal corruption issue. Say that's a legacy of life in Eastern Europe, a legacy of communism, because the nomenclatura was was utterly, utterly corrupt. It was it's there. It was pervasive. And if we send them money and it disappears, uh, we this was one of the hesitant reasons for hesitancy on the part of both the Obama administration and the Trump administration on supplying uh, certainly advanced weapons, but something beyond uh, uh, food, ammunition supplies, and, and, and light weapons because of a concern that they would be used appropriately. Now, that said, Poland, it was another one of these great overt, covert operations, was uh, supplying uh, Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian military, such as it was, it was in terrible shape in 2014 when Russia uh, invaded, with uh, uh, light infantry weapons, uh, mortars, uh, some uh, some artillery, and eventually they, they got uh, better uh, tactical uh, tactical communications uh, equipment. Remember that now we're talking about something that occurred uh, five years ago. But the corruption issue was huge, and that's one of the things Zelensky ran on. As, the, as Jim pointed out, that uh, I'm going to miss his name up, Jim. Vladimir, is that, is that, I mean, I heard it pronounced on, on the radio a couple of days. Vladimir Zelensky is Vladimir the way it's, it's yeah, pronounced. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I, thought, I thought it was. I really liked it. Ukrainians like, pronounced him a little differently than Russians do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing I it. I mean, you, you call the capital Kiev, not Kiev. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing it in Texan. Okay, <laughs> Vladimir, Vladimir uh, Zelensky. He the, the the story on this guy is is really really rich because uh, for one thing he he grew up 
in eastern U Ukraine. I'm not uh, sure where, but his parents were ethnic Russians, Jewish uh, ethnic Russians. But he, you know, his, he identifies as a as a Ukrainian. And when he was uh, work, you know, working on this uh, TV show that Jim uh, Jim mentioned, where he play, he plays a a comic and he's a he's a comedy writer and a, and a comic himself. The the response to it was because this this comedian, as I understand it in the plot, was standing up against corruption and 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 and, and bad guys. And he thought, wait a minute, why not give it a shot? He wins. There, as Jim pointed out, there are some interesting, uh, let's, let's call it media political similarities between Zelensky and Trump, both in their uh, in, in, uh, their presentation, public presentation uh, of themselves, and also their uh, rhetorical capabilities uh, and their, their willingness to get into a, uh, a, a ver verbal uh, tit-for-tat. Tit okay. There's you have in Zelensky a figure that begins to not <laughs> moves, let's say, moves the ball forward to addressing that real strategic weakness in Ukraine, which is which is the corruption. And that's why I went and, and read that uh, read that paragraph from Cocktails from Hell. Take drop back to the late 1990s, early 2000s. I wrote in uh, – I'd used this quip in the 1990s about the Rubik, that uh, like of a Rubik's Cube, and this, it's cropped up in, in uh, some of my uh, Creator Syndicate uh, columns. I started using it uh, for sure, 2003-2004. Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan. That actually comes from something that Jim and I did for the second edition of A Quick and Dirty Guide to War, which we were writing before the Soviet Union uh, fell apart, those four countries are the basis of a superpower. And uh, putting them back together, the, the, the part of that se second edition speculated about if somebody wanted to rebuild the Soviet Union, well, what are the essential pieces? Well, there they were. And I made the, the joke that's like solving a puzzle. Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan. Early 2000, I think it's actually 2005, they, he's caught on tape saying this. Uh, Putin says the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the collapse of the Soviet Union. He's an old KGB colonel. Uh, he was born and bred and, uh, and leaned on KGB nomenclature and, and – uh, the uh, Soviet uh, uh, Soviet Empire. So he begins, at least, and the th this is perceived <laughs> by the his his target countries. Uh, look at the the 2008 Georgia war. That uh, war test tested some of the techniques that you saw and uh, we all saw in, in Crimea in February March. 2014, and then in the Donbass War, as it's called in, in eastern Ukraine, uh, special operations forces, so-called rebel militias, lots and lots of propaganda. In other words, narrative, narrative war, uh, narrative warfare, uh, and eastern European countries said, "Hey, look, the bear's back." And of course, at the same, uh, 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 the part and parcel of this was economic warfare. Russia 
turning on and off the natural gas and threatening to deny uh, 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 oil, uh, crude oil supplies. Also, what's going on, we've talked about this before, too. And Poles were already aware of it. They were, I, I know from a, 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 uh, a reservoir uh, engineer here in, the, in, in Texas, and yes, he's done oil and gas reservoir analysis, that the, the Poles in 2012-2013 uh, were already at least discussing with uh, American industry uh, what can be done if you st- all start producing more uh, natural gas? We don't want to be vulnerable to Russian pressure. Now, that's just an anecdote. But you can see subsequently in 2014, the polls are saying, look, we're going to build a liquefied national natural gas uh, port. In other words, uh, for importing American liquefied uh, natural gas, if you guys really start exporting it again and fracking produces uh, substantially more natural gas to the point that you are an exporter. We don't want to be bullied by uh, Putin, by the Kremlin, and uh, we want to be able to stand up to their expansionist bid. Now, February 2014, a refined version of the August 2008 Russo-Georgia war uh, begins with the, the grab of Crimea. As Jim pointed out, Khrushchev gave it to uh, gave it to U- uh, Ukraine as a, a brotherly uh, Marxist socialist gesture. I th- forget the exact language, but it's you you will see it uh, uh, quoted. And uh, well, here's here's Crimea, which the Russians called their their territory, but heck, it's all one big Soviet Union. So the Russians here's here's Putin. There's 20,000 Russian sailors, uh, naval infantry, and soldiers in Sevastopol because it's still a huge Russian naval base. They had a long-term lease on it, uh, the, uh, the Russia did, and Ukraine was, was fine with it. So they've already got uh, over two divisions, if you look at it in, in, in ground combat uh, terms, in Crimea. Plus, what else they're able to introduce, and they took it. I told you earlier that Ukraine's military was in ter- uh, was in terrible shape. Putin, in March of 2014, promises that more is to come. 2014, and I, I discussed this as an in, uh, indicator in that Russians' uh, wars of expansion chapter and and co- uh, cocktails uh, from hell. The Kremlin and Putin start talking about new Russia, meaning we're on the prowl again, and we're recovering ethnic Russians in uh, ethnic Russian territory in, in eastern Ukraine. Heck, we might take all of, of Ukraine. That was being publicly bandied about in the summer uh, of uh, 2014. And the primary, Jim mentioned it, it's really two areas, uh, uh, Luhansk and uh, Donetsk uh, in, in, in uh, eastern Ukraine that are heavily ethnic, uh, ethnic Russian. But in, a, in the, that early phases, um, late spring, summer 
of 2014, you actually had regular army Russian units in there, masked, uh, uh, trying to operate uh, covertly, along with intelligence uh, units, special operations forces. But the cover was uh, local, quote-unquote, Ukrainian militias that were standing up, Ukraine, ethnic Russian Ukrainian militias, standing up against uh, 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 Kiev. Uh, they, it was enough below the radar that the West wouldn't react. That was the uh, Kremlin's, uh, Kremlin's theory. And the West was slow to react, even though, as uh, the Obama administration said by uh, towards the end of 2014, look at all the sanctions we put on. But then you'd already had six months of uh, Russian uh, slow war with the idea that we'll break Ukraine economically. And uh, when uh, the, you know, the weak-kneed West fails Ukraine, we'll make the point that uh, our will is superior, we're uh, a, a new power again. You know, they also, and I'll make this, as, this was an operational slash tactical point, they kept aiming at a port that's on the Sea of Azov, Maripol. And if you, uh, and there was a, a, a analysis, uh, we, heck, I think we even talked about it here on, on Strategy Talk, that the Russians were going to seize a corridor right along the northern edge of the Sea of Azov so that they would have a land corridor going to, uh, to Crimea. Note, Maripol's has not been, if I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, has still not been taken by, by uh, pro-Russian, uh, pro-Russian forces. Instead, the Russians have built a big bridge across, across the Kerch Strait, K-E-R-C-H is the way it is in, in English, connecting uh, Russia to the uh, Crimean Peninsula. Jim said this when, in his initial analysis. There has been very little movement since fall 2014 on the ground. And yet at the same time, there's an ongoing war of attrition. Last time I looked, which was maybe a week ago, there were reports of uh, about two dozen attacks in, uh, in eastern Ukraine, some of them quite serious, involving 122-millimeter artillery being fired by uh, pro-Russian uh, units on a Ukrainian-held uh, position. So it's still, a, it's still a hot war, even though it's a, uh, it's a slow war. Interestingly enough, Zelensky says the Russian foreign minister contacted him this week and said, we're interested in ending it. Well, that's interesting for a number of reasons, because Russia says this was a Ukrainian rebellion. It's an insurgency. Well, it's a Russian invasion that's, uh, 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 that's failed. Has Ukraine turned the corner on corruption? Dan, I really don't know. I do know Zelensky is, he's different. And as Jim said, he's not part of the establishment. He's a, a true anti-establishment um, uh, candidate. Uh, has Ukraine uh, turned the corner militarily? It's a better army. I'll leave that up to, uh, to Jim, but there has been uh, to comment on. But they've improved training. I know they've improved uh, uh, uh communications. They've also got <laughs> combat experienced uh, infantry now. 
and I'm not just I'm talking about their special operations uh, uh, troops. There have been, a, you know, a, the, the, some of their quote-unquote militia forces have, have seen uh, extensive, steady, uh, close combat for uh, four and a half years. And uh, the fact that they've survived uh, uh, it indicates that they're, they're good at uh, what they're doing as, uh, as, as, as soldiers. So that looks like that, uh, that might be the case. Is, here's, here's the leap forward. Is Ukraine ready to become part of NATO? No, I don't think so. But I'll tell you, that's something Russia must worry about. Russia used uh, their war in Ukraine also as a, a, an attempt to rattle NATO. They've devoted, and we've, we've covered this heavily for the last six years. Uh, well, the, the vilification of NATO has been going on for 80, 90 years, but I shouldn't, 80, 90 years, since, uh, since the 1950s. Uh, vilification of the West going on for uh, uh, eight or 900 years, but uh, by Russia. But the, uh, they used this, the Kremlin tried to use it as an opportunity to, r- to rattle Eastern, uh, Eastern NATO nations. And all they did was scare them into becoming uh, more uh, harder core uh, anti-Russians. So uh, I think there's a strategic uh, loss there on Russia's part. And it's time for Russia to cut, uh, uh, to cut its losses. I don't know that they're going to do it. Uh, because uh, Putin devoted a lot of political, uh, a lot of, 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 of political effort to stressing the fact that he was the, the new great uh, uh, Russian leader. So that, that's that's my take on Ukraine now. Jim, so is the Ukrainian-Russian conflict about to pass into history? Yeah, the Russians all have been angling, as it were, for a way out. Uh, you got to look at what's going on on the Russian side of the uh, of the, the Donbass, uh, you know, front. Uh, they've occupied about half of those two provinces that comprise Donbass, and inside those provinces, a a lot of the civilians have moved to Ukraine. Some have gone to Russia, but most of them don't want to go to Russia because they, the word has gotten around that things are worse in Russia than they ever were in Ukraine. Uh, the reliability, or the, how should I put it, the fervor of the, uh, the ethnic Russian rebels in Ukraine has declined. They realize that all the promises Russia made were, you know, smoke. Uh, Russia has not been able to, as Austin points out, that the front line has not moved really. Well, actually, it has moved. This is an interesting development, which doesn't get much coverage in the news. The Ukrainians have been taking back territory. Yeah. Not a lot. I should have said that. Yeah, a village here, a village there. And one reason they're getting away with that is because the local rebels who mainly uh, do the uh, the area defense, you know, they're the, you know, the, the local defense crews, they don't want to defend, you know, areas that are basically controlled from Russia, even though Russians are pouring billions of dollars a year into sustaining the uh, the wrecked economy in, in their portion of the Donbass. And uh, basically, it's costing the Russians a lot of money. They can't afford to even try a, uh, a major military push. If to do that, they'd have to use all Russian forces. The Ukrainians in uh, the pro-Russian or the ethnic Russian, the, the, most, the, the pro-Russian 
people in Ukraine, in Donbass, are mostly ethnic Russians. And a lot of them really, uh, you know, uh, polls before the uh, 2014 indicated most of them, yeah, they were ethnic Russian, but they were Ukrainians. I mean, they considered themselves Ukrainians. They felt they were better off in Ukraine than they were, you know, if they were back part of Russia. So that's something the Russians can't overcome. Uh, Zelensky, his problem with the corruption and his, his priorities have to do partly with the fighting in the uh, in the Donbass because there have been a ca- uh, cases of corruption where the troops, especially those militias Austin was talking about, the, the basically the volunteers um, who are much more under control, uh, military control, and on the on the Ukrainian side than they are on the Russian side. Uh, they are basically they found that they're they're promised certain a quantity of supplies and a lot of them don't show up. And the reason is, well, a lot of them initially say, well, some, some of it is stolen, you know, some bureaucrat. And then there, then proof emerged that, yes, that's exactly what's happening. And that became a huge, uh, how should I put it, uh, public relations black eye for the uh, candidate that Zelensky defeated. He said, look, you've had several presidents, you know, since 2014, uh, several leaders. And they, they almost to a man and woman in some cases, they've turned out to be corrupt. Just try me. What do you got to lose? Uh, I have no dirt in my background. You know, I I, I made my way after the uh, after we after independence. Uh, I got a sense of humor. I can laugh at myself. That's a big deal in Ukraine and in Ukrainian politics, at least. And uh, so far, he's proven correct. He's basically hired technocrats, as it were, people who are generally known to be honest. Uh, he, he tells these these new uh, you know uh, officials, senior officials, that you will be out on your butt real quick if you get dirty, even a little bit dirty. So coming in, you got to know that you're gonna have to live on your salary or on your savings, something like that. So I we all have to make sacrifices, you know, for years during the Soviet period, as as Austin pointed out, and after uh, a lot of politicians just said, oh hey, we still got the racket going. We can still basically plunder as much as we can get away with, and we don't have to worry about some, you know, some uh, KGB pukes from Moscow coming down and spoiling our fun. Uh, but now they got Zelensky, uh, a damn comedian. That's not funny for them, uh, and the Ukrainians are eating it up. Now he has to make progress. So reaching back to nail the uh, the, the corruption thing that involved, you know, uh, Biden's son. That's on the list, but it's way down the list. I mean, he's a politician now. He has to basically go after the large, low-hanging fruit that mostly impacts the Ukrainian people. The uh, the Biden thing, yeah, that that was uh, that was small potatoes in, in the big picture of uh, Ukrainian corruption. The fact that it basically uh, implicated a uh, a current presidential candidate and his son is embarrassing. In the United States, uh, but it was expected, you know, before 2016, of Americans, uh, American officials coming into Ukraine because they quickly found out that these guys were were, were quite willing to play with the corrupt uh, Ukrainian officials. And although the Americans were saying we have to stop the corruption, uh, they took advantage of it uh, when they had the opportunity, and some of them did. And again, Biden made a big mistake in publicly saying, you know, I got this prosecutor to back off. 
uh, when he, I mean, he implied that basically the prosecutor was dirty and he was trying to basically uh, interfere with American foreign aid. Well, that's not the case. And of course, this whole impeachment thing in the United States is going to bring that out. And, so, and I wonder who, who had already figured that out. But anyway, <laughs> uh, not the people in Congress. And, uh, Surprise! I mean, it's amazing what's going on in the United States, and I'm sure Zelensky and 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 Trump had face-to-face discussions at the UN this week, uh, having a chuckle over that. Uh, yeah, it would not be diplomatically prudent to get that into the American uh, news. Uh, that you know, they they're both laughing at the same things on both sides on both countries. Um, but but that was the that was the link they had. They were both outsiders. They were both fighting corruption. They were both fighting corrupt political systems. Um, and so they had a lot in common. Uh, and so there's no way Zelensky's going to be forced to back off because he was elected not to back off. Uh, so look, I, I haven't been following. I, I try when we do our updates of Russia, which is upcoming in the next few weeks. Uh, I do check the, uh, the Ukrainian media. Um, and a lot of it's available in English. My Russian is rusty, but in a pinch I can translate something. Um, and um, the uh, they're basically, you know, uh, from what I have, what I did see before the current, you know, contra tops, uh, the uh, the Ukrainians thought, you know, now we've got a Trump, uh, so to speak, and they make all kinds of jokes on that. That hasn't hit the American news yet. It may never, at least not the, the mainstream news. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of commonality. But the thing that uh, Zelensky has to concentrate on first is, A, corruption that affects the troops fighting uh, or taking casualties, holding that line with the Russians. And, of course, the special operations guys who, who are mostly active uh, in basically taking back a village here, a village there. Um, and what bothers the Russians about that? I mean, they're not going to, so to speak, go to war over losing a village here, a village there every month or so. Uh, but the fact that they have not got any Ukrainians on their side who are willing to fight this take back. I mean, there have been cases where uh, when the Ukrainian troops take over, uh, you see guys in uniform uh, coming out, taking the uniforms off and saying, all right, that's about time you guys got here uh, and joining the Ukrainian army. Uh, and and they're Ukrainians, not Russian special operations troops, you know, inserting more spies into Ukraine. They've got plenty of those. Uh, and uh, so, you know, Russia is losing, and they have been losing. I mean, as, as Austin points out, the line has not moved because the Russians learned they couldn't even take Mariupol. Now, they're trying to take it indirectly by breaking international law with their Kerch Bridge and insisting that they control, uh, you know, uh, seagoing traffic. Uh, Mariupol it's not the largest port in, in, in Ukraine. That's Odessa. But Manipal is the largest port in eastern Ukraine. And it basically brings in a lot of sea, you know, seaborne goods, whether they be from western U- uh, Ukraine or from around the world. They come in through Manipal. And because of the Russian semi-blockade uh, under the aegis of they can have this new bridge, uh, vastly illegal, um, but and and the Russians are taking, uh, you know, they're burning up a lot of diplomatic uh, capital, you know, trying to defend that. Um, they they basically have cut the uh, the traffic, the seagoing traffic into Mariupol, and that's hurting Ukraine economically. Now the Ukrainians know who to blame. Uh, 
The rest of the world knows who to blame, and the Russians don't want to take that kind of heat. Uh, they eventually have to give in, or they're simply going to be bled to death. And the Russians have not got a lot more blood to give. They, if they're given a choice between Ukraine and Syria, they take Syria. Uh, well, that's a, that's a lost cause as well, economically speaking. But they are allowing Russian firms to invest in uh, in Syria, uh, which is even more dangerous than than Africa, where they're making a lot of investments. But anyway, the problem is the Russians are losing. They don't want to admit it. Uh, and uh, and this this current you know uh, you know impeachment nonsense about the uh, about you know how the president conducts uh, foreign uh, affairs has got long term implications for the American ability uh, for any American president future in the future to conduct uh, you know uh, foreign affairs and that that basically gets down to you know the the fundamental you know, well being of the United States uh, that will eventually come up. And I think it will be forced to come up because of the impeachment, you know, going forward with the impeachment. So, you know, you got to ask yourself who's playing 3D chess and who's playing checkers in that game. But as far as, you know, the corruption goes, Zelensky and Trump are on the same page, just not to the same chapter. Right. And uh, Dan, let me make a, a, a ooh. Okay, quickly, of, we're we're at, we're out of time. Uh, the taking back a, a few villages by by the Ukrainians. They're slow offensive on this. They're giving the Russians a taste of what they kept doing after the Minsk uh, peace agreement, the initial one when, in the fall of 2014. The Russians just uh, outright violated it, and now they're getting the favor returned to them. One other thing, too, this is a strategic political defeat for the Kremlin. You. Anytime you see Sweden and and Finland openly discussing joining NATO and the popularity of it, that tells you something, and it's told the Kremlin something. We've overplayed our hand, and at, maybe it maybe it sounds like it's back in the in the distance. But the, the Finns and the Swedes have made that clear that there is a substantial. Uh, plurality of both of their electorates that think it's a good idea to join NATO. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, when people start pulling on all these threads, uh, what's at the end of them, and uh, it's going to be an interesting ride to watch watch both uh, what happens in the United States and in Ukraine. We'll talk to you both next time. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.